Can you open your Bibles this morning to the, the book of 1 John? That's going to be our text for this, uh, East, this Easter morning. Whoa! I, I took the story a little further down the road there. Um, as we've been uh, studying over these past couple of weeks, our, our Advent series is called God With Us. The gift of Christ and his church. And that, that's an important addition. I hope you'll even see that just even as we read the text today. We've been learning that it is not just God with me in Christ. I don't know why we do that in our country. We, we tend to take texts that are plural in, in the way they are written in, in Scripture. But we privatize them. And it's, it's just mainly about God and me, God and me. And so many times it's about God. It is about God and you, but it's about God and you as a people together who, who reflect his glory and advance his gospel. It's God with us. So God not only wants to give you the gift of Christ, he also wants to give you the gift of Christ's church. So if you're visiting with us today and you're looking for a home church, I hope this is a timely message for you. I, I, I've, I've heard so many people say, you know, we have seen, we've visited almost all the churches and we just still don't know where could be a church family. Isn't it good news to know that God wants to give you not only the gift of his son, but the gift of his son's church. Uh, not that, that, that any one church is the church, but local churches together are expressions. Gospel-centered churches are expressions of the gift that he wants to give you in making Christ known to you. Thus far, we've learned that God is with us in peace and in joy because of Christ's work on the cross. And this morning, we're going to remember that God is with us in love. What a, that's a great topic for Christmas Sunday, isn't it? I love those, that phrase, Christmas Sunday. That's a great phrase. Um, and, and that love is most vividly displayed, of course, on the cross where Jesus died for our sins. So as we read this morning... Notice how the text highlights that God is not merely with us in Christ's love, but is also with us as we express Christ's love to each other. And that's where the church comes in. Um, I don't know if I told you, it's 1 John 4. Maybe I told you 1 John, but I don't think I told you the verses. And we're going to read verses 7 through 21 this morning. Be listening for God with you, God with, God with you, but listen for God with us. He's doing more than just something personally in our lives. He's doing something to rock the world with the gospel. Here is the sufficient, inerrant, authoritative, divinely inspired word of God. Let's ask God to govern us with the word and not just inform us with the word this morning. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, oh, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, Lord, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. How we thank you. And we want to also thank you for the gift of experiencing Christ and Christ's love in his church. God, we ask that you would renew hearts this morning in the love of Jesus. And we pray that you would make us the kind of church this text describes from those who love God. Oh Lord, please help us not to just pursue being doctrinally correct. We want to do that until you come. But also, please help us to have a gospel culture that, that adorns the gospel we preach and teach. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Have you ever struggled with fear and worry? I'm going to guess if you're human, you have. I don't know what being suffocated feels like physically, but fear and worry, when it's run amok, somehow it makes you feel, at least it makes me feel like I'm being suffocated spiritually or emotionally. It's a crazy experience. And when you keep those fears and worries to yourself, the stranglehold only seems to get tighter and darker. So likely in, in a gathering this size, there's some of us that are doing that. You're struggling with fear and worry. And you're keeping it to yourself. You're just trying to tough it out. And it just seems that the stranglehold gets tighter the more silent you are about it. It begins to affect your relationships with other people. You find yourself more easily given to anger. Someone once said that anger is fear in disguise. I mean, you can have an anger problem just because you're, you're so focused on yourself and you're meeting your own needs and everybody's got to revolve around you and, all, and, 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 you, and maybe you've been hurt and you're trying to control everyone in the world so that you never get hurt again. But a lot of times anger is still distasteful, it's still sinful, but a lot of times it's coming out of the stranglehold of fear and worry. Got to tell you, all that was happen to, happening to me in 2022. And I kept it to myself way too long. It was affecting Jan. It was affecting you. There were seasons of 2022 where I, I guess I, I tried to fulfill my role as a pastor professionally. But because I was all in this fear and worry, darkness, suffocating kind of thing, I pulled my heart away from you sometimes. Finally, I confess these things to our elders and our leadership team. And if you're new here, our elders are, are Hugh Robotham and Alan DeSherry, two of the most precious men I know. Uh, Steve Avampado is an elder candidate. Eric Schmaltz, who led worship this morning, is an elder candidate. And Marcus Jones is our head deacon. These, these men configure our, our leadership team. And this is what I told them. Guys, I'm so ashamed to tell you this, but I've been so fearful and worried that I, I've had to ask God if he could remind me and show me that he loves me. And I was ashamed to say that. I was embarrassed because I've been a Christian for 43 years. I know I just look about 40. 
No, Billy, that Velcro is going, it's going gray, baby. It's, it's going gray. I was embarrassed because I've been a Christian for 43 years. Even worse, I've been a pastor for almost 36 years. Do you ever think this? Surely by now, surely by now, I should know that God loves me. I'm so thankful for the leaders of our church. And these leaders pastor my soul. They met me in my tears and in my fears. And one of them said this, Billy, if one of your sons came up to you and said, Dad, I'm sorry to have to ask you this, but I'm going through a really hard time right now. Could you remind me that you love me? They asked what I would do. <laughs> well, I told them what I'd do. I would run to them as fast as I possibly could. I would grab them and catch them. Well, they're too big for me to pick them up anymore. But I would try. I would try to pick them up. I would kiss their cheeks. And I would tell them, do you know how much I love you? Of course I love you. It is never a problem for me to remind you that I love you. It's my joy to tell you that I love you. I live to tell you that I love you. And then this is what my brothers told me. Well, Billy, if you being an earthly father know how to give love to your children, how much more does your heavenly father love you? Isn't that the constant cry of fallen humanity? God, my circumstances don't really seem to indicate that you love me. As though my circumstances were the interpretive lens to discern whether God loves me or not. Right? Right there is the proof of love, not our circumstances. God is working through circumstances to refine us and draw us closer to his heart. But isn't it the constant cry of fallen humanity? Music is such a, a cultured uh, exposer. It, it, it's such a, especially in regard to love. Um, I, was, I grew up with, well, I guess there's still a group, but they, they're like 70 now. <laughs> but I grew up, anybody grow up with Foreigner? That you grew up listening to Foreigner? All six of us. Um, <laughs> So this was the years where Foreigner and Boston and REO Speedwagon, and these were, these were my jams, man. These are what I listened to. And Foreigner had a song, talk about just exposing the human heart, exposing our need for someone bigger than ourselves, exposing that we need someone that is far beyond what a human being can do for us. And you know what the song was? I want to know what love, I'm trying not to sing it. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. Did you know that they had a church choir sing with them on that song? The, the writer of it, was, it, he was getting this like emotional, spiritual goosebump thing going on. And he's thinking, wow, this is really profound. <laughs> I want to know what love is. Why don't we get a church choir and give it this real spiritual vibe and everything. And if you go back and listen to it, it, it really does have this spiritual vibe but it's, it's almost like this prayer without an answer. Because the guy ends up saying, he wrote it about his wife. He, he went, I, wanna, I want you to show me what love is. Oh, I started to sing it there. Did you need to hear it? Kind of went, It's not just, I mean, just so many songs describe our emptiness and our recognition that there's need, a need for something called love, but we just don't even have any ways to look. The Beatles made a bazillion dollars telling us all you need is love. ba ba da ba da <laughs> And then they say, it's easy. <laughs> okay, and then there are real dangers out there. And our, the songs describe this. If you don't get love right, you can look for love in all the wrong places, right? If you don't get it right. And you can get really cynical about it and say, what's love got to do with it? What's love, some of you older folks, but a secondhand emotion. emotion. Wow, that's cynical. One of the joys of the Advent season is that it shows us what love is. It shows us what love is. It reminds us that all we really need is the love of Christ. And even if you've looked for love in all the wrong places, there is an unfailing love that will rescue you and revive you and give you rest. 
And Advent reminds us that the love of Christ is not just something you learn once and you're done. And I think that's where my, my just goofy pride-filled arrogance embarrassment was that well, certainly by now I should know what love is. Well, the love of Christ is far more wonderful than a one and done. Dane Ortland, in his book Deeper, I recommend that book highly to you. He put it this way, and this is in your notes. The love of God is not something to see once and believe and then move beyond to other truths or strategies for growing in Christ. The love of God is what we feed on our whole lives long, wading ever more deeply into this endless ocean. We grow in Christ no further than we enjoy his embrace of us. Let me ask you this. Do you feel like you've, if you looked at the panorama of your Christian life, would you say that some of your biggest growth was early in your Christian life and now you don't know that you're growing as, as well, um, as healthy as you should be? I would ask you this. Have you just kind of tossed aside your need to remember again how much God loves you? That's what this whole text is meant to, to do. A main point this morning is this. God is love, therefore we're to love one another. Very simple main point. I think you probably saw it. As, I hope you saw that as, as you're reading the text. God is love. So there's this amazing personal component to us. But it's not just a personal thing. It's a corporate thing. It's a church thing. Therefore, we are to love one another. And first point is God is love. And it's in verses 7 and 8. So I want you to see something here. Just a couple things about Bible study. If you look at verse 7 and verse 21, they serve as bookends. And they really kind of give you a, a sense of context of what this section of scripture is about. And the bookends are essentially this. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's, that's really the bookends. Um, but the focus in those verses is the command to love. Love one another. It's a command. It's not something, that's, it's not an option to the Christian life. It's not like buying a car and, oh, loving others, I don't need that option. <laughs> yeah, I just want to go fast. You know, I, it's not that at all. It's, these are commands. But here's one of the problems with, with, we can get fooled in the Christian life is in thinking that we get saved by grace, but now we got to live by our own effort in keeping God's commands. It's just by works. We, now it's just about our own works. It's about just doing our best and... Uh, it's an imperative, but the imperatives of Scripture, please remember this. Whenever you see a command in Scripture, be diligent to look for not just the imperative, but what is the indicative, meaning what, did, what has God already done for you that enables you to obey? Okay, so if you just focus on obedience, you're going to get tired Chances are you're going to get bitter. You're going to, you're going to get an outcome probably that you don't think you deserve or you don't think you should be getting versus, oh, God loves me. Christ died for me. God is love. Oh, love one another. So there's something God has done for you. And then when he gives you a command, it should encourage you because he's done this for you. Thus, you can now serve him. You can now obey him. You can do this for him because of what he's first done for you. Does that make sense? So be careful as you're studying the Bible, not to, not to just focus, let the imperatives rise to the top and not find the indicatives that are the foundation of them. So here we go. God wants to, to focus first, not on what we're doing for him, but what he's done for us. And you see that in verse 7. So let's get our, get our noses in the book. He says, let us love one another. And here's where it's like this little ding, ding, ding. Here's one of the ways to know, look for the indicative. Because he says, let us love one another for, for what? Well, for love is from God. So here we go. God is the source of love. You don't look within to find love. You look up to find love. You don't look out to find love in, in other people and things. You, you look up to find love. Don't look in. Don't look out. Look up because love is from God. That's what the text says. And then it goes further and says this. Everyone who loves has been born of God. 
So in your salvation, God not only, listen, in case you're new to things of hearing about the love of Jesus and, and you're thinking, well, what is this? Like some kind of a spiritual contract and if I just kind of sign on the dotted line, that's kind of my ticket to heaven? Is, is that what it is? And, and I just try to be good from now on, you know? And is that, is that what Christianity is? And it's, an, oh my goodness, being, being a Christian is so much better than that. Being a Christian is not just being given a new start. And I think that's a lot of times what we've kind of pawned it off as. It's just kind of what the world says. Oh, I need a new beginning. I need a fresh start. I need a fresh start, so I'm going to change jobs. I need a fresh start, so I'm going to change marriages. I need a fresh start, so I'm going to change houses. We're always thinking this fresh start. Well, the problem is, wherever you go, there you are. I mean, that's the problem. I need this fresh start with an old heart. Hey, that's, let me write that down. That's not in my notes. And you're probably going, yeah, don't write it down. (laughs) Christianity is so much better than that. Christianity is God taking your dead heart, my dead heart, and by his sovereign grace, giving us a new heart, waking us up, giving us a new heart. And that new heart is a heart that desires to love him. It's a a heart that desires to know him better. It's a heart that desires to love others as he's loved us. So that's what he's saying. If you've been born of God, you will be a lover like God. Born of God is the perfect tense. means it's something that happened in the past that has present and ongoing effects. Being loved by God and loving others for God. That would be the ongoing effects. So listen, if you've, if you've struggled, gosh, I don't, Lord, I don't know if you love me. I've really been blowing it lately. I've had, my patience has been like a nanosecond. I, I've just been, I've been brutal with my words to my, the people I love the most. And I'm just, I'm just making a mess. I'm making a mess of Christmas. My attitude, my, uh, look, my kids are growing up. Here's supposed to be this wonderful Christmas holiday. And my kids are just seeing an angry parent. I just, Lord, I, I don't know how you could love me. Here, here's how. God would have to un-God himself not to love you anymore. Is that possible? Good news. It's not possible. God would have to un-God himself to not love you. And he will never do that. He cannot do that. So let's keep reading. Everyone who loves knows God. So there's a, there's a new birth that's involved, a new nature that God gives to his people, a nature like himself, not, in, not perfect and in, in, in those kind of things, but, but the, uh, a born again heart that now loves God and wants to serve and obey him. And then it goes further. Everyone who loves knows God, not just theologically, but relationally and experientially. Let me ask you this. If, if I asked you, is honey sweet? And most of you would say, yes. And if I said, have you tasted honey? And maybe someone here might go, no. I know the chemical makeup of honey. And I can tell you honey is sweet. What would you rather, what would you rather know? The chemical makeup of honey or the taste of honey? It's not a trick question. The taste of honey. Do you know God? Do you know God? Well, I believe someone had to make this world. I'm not an evolutionist. I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. Yes, I believe there is some, something out there. Hmm. Chemical makeup of honey kind of person, aren't you? There's such a difference, isn't there, in knowing him. And did you know that this morning God would love to give you the taste of his love? A changed heart of his love? So when the Bible speaks of knowing, it's very relational, it's very personal, it's very intimate, it's very living. It's a living sweetness that is the love of God. And the Bible is really teaching here, it's the evidence of being born of God. Born again is loving others like God loves you. That, that you knowing what that love is, 
is then your enabling grace to be able to give that love to others because you know what love is. Get that guy from Foreigner on the phone for me. You know, I want to tell him what love is, who love is. The implication is that the life of God that's given to us in the new birth manifests itself in love for others. If we're children of the one whose very nature is love, then we will be like our Father. We love because it's consistent with who God is. We're children of God. We manifest his nature in our beliefs and our behaviors. Alexander the Great, a story is told of him that he had a soldier who had his name, Alexander. And this soldier was unfaithful and a coward. He was unfaithful in his duty and he was a coward. And Alexander called him into his, his courtroom, um, his palace area, into his throne room. And he says this, either change your behavior or change your name. You kind of see what he's going after there. Wait a minute. There's, if, if, if you say... Yet you love God. Is that nature, is that loving nature, that Christ-like loving nature ultimately ruling your heart? And if it's not, maybe you shouldn't call yourself a Christian yet. But you can. You sure can. And there'll be an invitation to do that today. Years ago, one of my sons was in a leadership training program that tended toward motivating people by guilt and insults and threats. And God used that training program to show him this was not the direction he should go. He called me when he told me that he was going to go in a different direction. And he said this. This is, this is one of those moments <laughs> where you just go, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm so, I thank you that you're working in my, my son's life. He said, Dad, I can't lead people like this. I'm a raised man. I want to lead with love and grace. That was very encouraging. But I had to direct him because I said, son, you have a much better father. You have a much better father. You're God's man, son. You're God's man. And it's God's nature that is motivating your heart. But you see what the text is trying to bring out in us and alert us to and highlight to us. And I think that's what John is saying here. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to say you are God's and you belong to God and you are truly his, then live and love like he does. Now, let me tell you, let's talk about just before we go on, because so, this is so day-to-day -day relevant in our lives. Let me tell you what, what God is love does not mean. God is love does not mean that love is God. So, he, so get the difference. I want you to even start thinking about this. Engage with me about this. God is love is not equal to love is God. It's not equal to that. We don't worship love as God. Amen? Love does not define God. God defines love. Love does not mean that I get to do whatever I want. You have to not only accept it, but be excited about it. And if you disagree with me, you don't love me. You hate me. Isn't that the world we're living in? Where is that coming from? Because it's a world that worships love. Love is God. How many of you followed the Respect for Marriage Act? The Disrespect for Biblical Marriage Act, I guess we could, should and could say. How many times did you hear the quotes these politicians are saying, oh, love is love. You've been smoking a joint. What is the deep? Love is love. But why do they say it? It's not, they're not high on drugs. They're high on heresy. I don't, I don't know what to say. They're, they're high in depravity. They're, they're on the throne of their lives. No one is to approach them unless you just agree with everything they say. I get everything they wa I want. I don't care. And if you have to build your world around me, so be it. Love is love. And the president was signing it. He said, this law is to protect. This is, he didn't say these words, but this law is to protect your worship of love. You can love, this is his words. 
You can love whoever you want. Wow. You see where our culture is now? Boy, without revival, you guys pray for our nation. It's frightening to think what's coming after that. Because God forbid that you not be able to love who you want to love when you want to love them. Regardless of what God says about it. But it's not just in government. It's with guys and girls. Why would a teenage girl be so goo-goo-ga-ga over a pimply-faced boy? Because love is God. That's why. Isn't that? I mean, you, listen, weren't we there? Oh, man. I wasn't, I, I didn't have all the pimply-faced boys. I had the Michael Jackson afro. And it wasn't a good look. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a good look. Why would anybody care for somebody like me? Because love is God. That's what people believe. Am I worshiping the God who is love or am I worshiping love as my God? Am I worshiping being the object of the love of others? And if I'm not feeling loved by you, I'm going to pull away from you. very dangerous and subtle and it does not mean that God is only love John says that God is love but John also says God is light God is spirit God is a consuming fire God is love and because he his love is holy it's not an unloving thing to do to bring justice and righteous wrath upon the wicked that's what love does let me ask you this. I mean, all the people that just go, oh, I can never believe that God, a God of wrath. Have you ever, so for, for whether it was your parent or your spouse or your child, and wickedness was after your child or, 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 or something? It could have been ill. It could have been cancer. It could have been evildoers. It could have been people trying to hurt your child. Isn't it amazing the wrath that you're capable of, not because you're a person of wrath, but because you love that person so much. So God is, is love. He has wrath. It's an expression, and it works out the way he loves and protects and governs the earth. The miracle is that instead of God stepping aside to give us the judgment our sins deserve, he does the opposite. He moves toward us in Christ to demonstrate the greatest love known to man, to save us from our sins through his son being punished as though his son was guilty. And that's this next point. God manifests his love in the gift of Christ. I want to know what love is. Well, look at Jesus. God manifests his love in the gift of Christ. Verse 9, this is the love. In this, the love of God was manifested. He is showing us what love is right now. God sent his only son into a world at war with him. So the word, word world there, in our, study, in our um, study that we're doing right now in the Gospel of John, we took the break for Advent, but we remember we talked about the word world is not just the globe. It's not just a big world. Like God's love, the world is so big, so God's love is so big. No, what it's really saying is the world is so bad. That's what makes God's love so big. Because he loves sinners. And he comes to rescue them. So he sends his son into a world at war with him who hated him, who rejected him so much so that they would crucify him. God is sending his son to undeserving people. So I want you to be listening, not only how God loves you, but I want you to be thinking about how you're called to love others. We're to love those who don't deserve it. That's the way he loves us. He loves those who deserve the opposite. Some people call it contra-conditional. Not, not just this unconditional thought. It's contra-conditional. You deserve judgment. And he loves you in spite of what you deserve. And here's what's amazing. He's willing to pay the highest price in order to reconcile sinners to himself. That's what love is, Charlie Brown. So that we might live through him, the text says. If you don't know Jesus, you're not truly loving, living yet and loving. You're not truly living or loving yet. 
you can still have good things in life. So don't get me wrong. You're not going to come here and hear us say, oh, man, everyone who doesn't know Christ has the worst life in the world. No, no. There's something called common grace, right? And that's just God being good to sinners and Christians, unbelievers as well as Christians. He calls the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He calls the sun to rise on the righteous and the unrighteous. Did you know God, God causes a steak to taste good to a believer and an unbeliever? Can you imagine going to Logan's or, or we're not Logan's, what's it, was it? Texas Roadhouse. That place is always packed. Going to Texas Roadhouse. And an unbeliever and a believer sit down to have steak. And the unbeliever bite, takes a bite and, and goes, yeah, this is the worst thing in the world. And the believer goes, oh, baby, if you're a Christian, this taste looks, no, it, that's common grace. Good food. It, it, they like, the, the unbeliever experiences good food, good sex, good, a good house, good vacations, good marriage. All of that is common grace. But what tends to happen is we tend as sinners to make common grace that somehow it's got to give me life. Somehow my love of food has got to give me something more than just the taste of the meal. Sometimes I just did my relationship with a, with a spouse. It's got to give me more than, than just, just a human relationship. Common grace was supposed to point you past the stake to God. Common grace was supposed to point you past the good house or the beautiful sunset or the Grand Canyon or an ocean vista with waves coming and all of those things. All of those precious beauties were supposed to point you beyond themselves to the God who is the giver of life, not just expressing it uh, to us in these, in these short-term things. God wants to give you life that's in him, and it's eternal. It's in abundant today. It's eternal forever, but it's also abundant today. And the text goes on to say, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Later in the text, he says, it's not that we first loved God. Really, it says, we really had no interest as unbelievers in making the first move toward God. And the reason is because we love our sin. We love the darkness. We needed God to make the first move in love toward us. And just this is a fun story by Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon thought that his salvation when, when he was a young Christian was mainly owing to himself for making a good choice to follow Jesus. But then look at, this are in your notes, this is what he says. I remember sitting one day in the house of God and hearing a sermon as dry as possible and as worthless as all such sermons are. <laughs> when a thought struck my mind, how came I to be converted? Well, I prayed, thought I. And then I thought, hmm, how came I to pray? Well, I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. Hmm, okay. Oh, how came I to read the scriptures? Why, well, I did read them. And what led me to that? And then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. And that he was the author of faith. God first loved us. We would have never first loved him. And right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, did you, that, that's what's happening right now. God's once again making the first move. He's making the first move. You might say, no, I came here. I made the first move. I came to church. And it's Christmas Sunday and I'm in church. Right? <laughs> I made the first move. Okay. <clears throat> What made you come to church on Christmas Sunday? Because God's making the first move to you. Isn't that how we're supposed to love each other? How many of us, we walk into a room and our radar is up and we take the temperature of the room and we gravitate toward those that we think are going to welcome us, that they're going to love us first. And if they don't, we don't ever come back. Instead of saying, no, I'm a Christian. I walk into the room and I'm, I want to first love someone else. I want to be the first one to give a greeting. I want to be the first one to offer a prayer because that's what love does. So he, that's, what, that's what this text is saying. It moves toward those who have offended him and sinned against him. He, he loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's how we know he loves us. So now we're going to go into this propitiation word. 
So he didn't just make a first move toward us. What he did in making that move is unbelievable. To propitiate means to satisfy the wrath of God. So in Christ, God gave us his life to save us from his wrath. Isn't that a picture? God gave us his life to satisfy his wrath. Jerry Bridges, he's since gone to be with the Lord, but he said this so well. This is in your notes. I believe a word that forcefully captures the essence of Jesus' work of propitiation is the word exhausted. Jesus exhausted the wrath of God. It was not merely deflected and prevented from reaching us. It was exhausted. Jesus bore the full unmitigated brunt of it. God's wrath against sin was unleashed in all of its fury on his beloved son. He held nothing back. Jesus did not die just to give us peace and a purpose in life. He died to save us from the wrath of God. He died to reconcile us to a holy God who was alienated from us because of our sin. He died to ransom us from the penalty of sin. The punishment of everlasting destruction shut out from the presence of the Lord. He died that we, the just objects of God's wrath, should become by his grace heirs of God and co-heirs with him. That's how you know what love is, foreigner singer. I want you to think of a person who's offended you, that has really hurt you, really sinned against you. You've had such anger, and you, and you could even say it's righteous anger toward them. Let me ask you this. Would you leave your, your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids and go lay down your life for the person who's really hurt you? Oh, you guys, that doesn't even compare to what Jesus has done for us. He left glory to come into the world that he knew would hate him, to lay his life down to save them. That's the good news, not just of Christmas, but it's the whole story, isn't it? It's the good news of the whole story. So what does that have to say about us as a people? Well, see, all of those things were the indicatives. All of those things were, were you not just coming to church on a Christmas Sunday and the preacher just saying, you need to love, you need to love. No, most of this sermon is about what? God loves you. He proved it by satisfying his own wrath in his beloved son. God loves you. No one's ever going to love you like that. No culture, no pimply-faced boy. There's no one's going to love you like that. And when God awakens that in our lives, when we experience that we've tasted this as honey, it is the grace God gives us to then love others the way he's loved us. So God makes Christ's love visible in the gift of Christ's church. Verse 11, he says, So beloved, if God so loved us, but we also ought to love one another. Knowing correct doctrine of God is not enough. Gospel doctrine is supposed to create a gospel culture. Have you been to a church where you heard a great sermon? Wow, eloquent, contextual, verse by verse, and really hit home. It was just so good. And not one person spoke to you. That's happening way too much. And, it's even, and, and, and one of the culprits is theologically, churches that value sound theology. But we, listen, I don't know, how do you say it? We unsay with our lives what we preach with our lips. There's, there's supposed to be both sound doctrine, Christ-centered truth. So truth is very much a part of it. But it's life-changing truth. It's heart-shaping truth. It's love-inspiring truth. First John is supposed to, First John is supposed to challenge us, guys, in case you're going, ooh, wow, this is, wow, Merry Christmas. <laughs> wow. It's, that's what First John was written about. So that we wouldn't just be sterile and know the chemical elements of honey. 
but that we'd actually have tasted and seen that God is good. The love of the church is as important as the doctrine of the church. You can't have one without the other. If you're visiting with us today, welcome to what we're trying to grow in. We don't, we don't have it down. So we're not, we're not doing this. Aren't, aren't, aren't we doing great? Oh my, look who's preaching. <laughs> I want to grow in this. I want to grow in this with you. Verse 12 says, no one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, people see God abiding in us. The love of Christ is made visible in our love for one another. So question, Sunday after Sunday, how is... How is the Christ making his love visible through you? That's a, I think that's a decent question, don't you? Oh, I'd love to sit down and talk to you about that. If you come in and you listen and you leave right away, is God making his love visible through you? If, if you're not engaging with people in a small group, but you... And listen, we're coming by this honestly in a world that's just privatized Christianity. Oh, I just need Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need Sunday gathering. I can watch online. And if, if you're watching online, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I know that not everybody can be here. A lot of sickness going on. And we love you. Don't make it a habit. Um, God wants to make his love visible. Why do you think he called marriage? It's the gospel according to marriage. Why? Because marriage was supposed to make his love visible to our kids. I always pray, dear God, please, please save my sons foundationally by the gospel that I try to give them. But please let me make it easy to see God's love active in our home by the way I love my wife. We're supposed to be making God's love visible to one another because I forget it every day. I need to see God's love again and again in you. I forget it every day. But the people who don't know Christ need to see. They need to hear the gospel of love in Jesus Christ and they need to see the gospel of love in his people. Amen? Amen. So verse 13 through 16, he says, we know we abide in him because he gave us his spirit. This is more good news. So the spirit enables us to believe in the sound doctrine and it enables us to experience his love and empowers us to love others. Verse 17 and 18 say, their perfect love casts out fear because there's no fear in love. So let's close on that one. Um, Perfect love casts out fear of condemnation, right? If you know Jesus Christ, death should not frighten you, right? Because your sins have already been punished. So your judgment day, your judgment day is not in the future. Your judgment day was right there. Jesus bore your sin. He took your sin away. That was your judgment day. There's no fear now, right? Perfect love has cast out the fear of punishment. But how about this? Don't raise your hands. I'll raise mine because I just struggle with this so many times. It's called the fear of man. It means just you just live to try to be accepted by people. You fear being rejected by people. And a lot of times this can happen because one, because we're sinners. We don't make, no one else makes us sin. But a lot of us have had really hard, shameful, hurtful experiences in life that that affect us as well. And, And it's just easy to just gravitate to, will you like me? I hope you like the sermon. Did you like the sermon? Please like the sermon. Right? I mean, is that what we do? We want to be accepted by people. Do you know how we conquer that? One, because perfect love has cast out fear of judgment, which makes, we have nothing to lose in loving each other. He accepted us. He saved us. He treats us like he he loves us like he loves Jesus himself. We have nothing to lose. So here's how you overcome the fear of man. By loving others. I ask you to try it. Whenever we're talking to to guys that are maybe want to grow up, you know, to uh, grow up. Well, grow up, but also guys who are wanting to be evaluated for pastoral ministry. And how many times we get nervous. I get nervous every Sunday of 30 years 
uh, in 2023 of being in this pulpit. And I get nervous every Sunday, and so much of it is my pride, and I hope you like this, and just all those kind of things. But you know what overcomes that, that slavish desire to be accepted? Love people. <laughs> just, thank you. I just got a heart. I got a living emoji right here in the front row. It's the coolest thing. You guys, isn't, and, and you know what? That's what makes the gathering of the people of God different. That's what makes us different. Because we have nothing to lose in loving each other. We've already gained eternity. And the gift of God is Jesus Christ. And now we live to communicate that love and make the love of Jesus visible. And it's amazing how when we love one another, fear is taken away. Eric, come on, let's close. We've got to close and sing. And if you guys need to leave, I hope, kids, I hope you opened your presents already. <laughs> Dad, Mom, doesn't Pastor Billy know I have 17 presents to open? <sighs> I want you to read. There's, there's a, uh, this at the end of your notes as the team is coming. Uh, this, was, this was developed by 10th Presbyterian Church. James Montgomery Boyce was a pastor who, who affected my life many years ago in the books that he had written. And, and then uh, Ray Ortland and uh, the people at Emmanuel uh, Church in Nashville kind of ad added to it, kind of worked on it. So this is what they encourage the people who come to their church on a Sunday or they come to a small group or they, that you meet over a cup of coffee you know, I, I pray, guys, that you, when the thought of coming together with the saints on a Sunday, I pray that it's not just this battle and you just, it's, oh, it's tension and everything. You know what I pray? I pray you could come here on Sunday and, and feel relieved because I know that I'm going to come to a place where I'm going to hear about God's love for me. I'm going to be reminded of that great love and I'm going to be empowered to love other people. I know I'm, I know I'm going to see Jesus' love being made visible in other people, but oh God, how I want to be a giver of that love too. Go ahead and stand. Isn't this so sweet? This is the way they begin their services. Think about how this would sound to a first-time visitor or to someone who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Before the first song is sung, they hear this. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God even cares, to all who are weak and fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, well, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus, the mighty friend of sinners, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the indefensible, the justifier of those who have no excuses left. Eric, would you lead us?